Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of the Commander Quest podcast. So I'm going to start off by explaining how bonus episodes work. Then I'm going to talk about something that really interests me. Five Colors Zada decks. I will also be covering magic news because there is a lot of that this week. So first of all, I'm going to be talking about how bonus episodes work. I release an extra episode more than my one week every every week I post an episode on Monday. But if I am inspired by a specific deck or something like that, then I might make a bonus episode. So that way I can keep on making keep on pace, keep doing well with my goal, and get to do the things that I'm really interested in. Uh, Second of all, I do not analyze cards during them, and I may or may not go over the magic news. So, fairly differently formatted and much more interest-driven than the other episodes. So... This week, I'm going to be talking about, first of all, magic news, and five color Zada decks. So there's a lot of different ways to be playing five color Zada decks, and I'm just going to lay out what they are, and the advantages, disadvantages, how they play, things like that. So, first thing... Uh, I'd say probably the most important thing in terms of MTG news is a change in the rules to Companion. This originally was announced for Standard and Modern. I believe it is just those two formats. Uh, probably Pioneer, too. It might have just been Standard and Pioneer. I don't know. Uh, but then uh, the Rules Committee decided it also applies to Commander. But for your companion in order to get it from your sideboard into your hand you have to play you have to pay three generic mana at at any time you could cast a sorcery so this heavily nerfs companions and i would say is very well justified yeah i mean that's all i can that's all i really have to say um okay So, the second thing is, of course, I will be, I will be putting links to all of these things in the description. The second thing is 2020 Magic Fests and the future of tabletop magic esports. So, Basically, they're doing a lot of different changes for competitive magic um, competitions here. It's very different. Um, They're changing a lot of things. They're going to be doing the Players Tour, Players Tour Final, and Mythic Invitational events are going to be run online with remote and with remote play. So they're also going to be doing a lot more local competitions because of the COVID situations. 
Uh, you can read this article, which will be in the description if you want to learn more. And I'm guessing, yes, it is going to be on Magic Arena. So I'm not sure how that works with non-standard, but we will see. We will see how it goes, and I'm sure that there will be a learning curve. Uh, next thing is the double masters. So double masters is basically, uh, I feel like I might have gone over it last time, I'm not sure, but basically it's a masters set. Sorry, correction, I'm not, I did go over double masters last time. This time I'm talking about Double Masters VIP Edition. So VIP Edition is extremely expensive. Uh, it's $90, I believe, for a single pack, and about $330 if you buy a booster pack of four of them. So, in other words, they're absurdly expensive. There are 33 cards and two foil double-sided tokens. There's two foil showcase rares or mythics, two foil rares or mythics, eight foil uncommons, nine foil commons, and 12 full art basic lands, two are foil, two foil double-sided tokens. So, I think, I, I mean, the it has not been released yet, the set list, so it's very hard to evaluate this, but the the price of this is just insane. Ninety dollars for a single pack for thirty-five cards, and two of them are tokens. It's just absurd. Like I understand the reason that Watsi is doing this is because even if one tenth of the people buy them, they can still be making similar margins as they are on much smaller pro products. I understand that, but it just blows my mind how much they can get away with without any repercussion. The only thing we can, we can do is change how much we buy it. And they're figuring out a way around that. If they just make it expensive, not many people have to buy it. And it's still, still a great business business decision for them. They have just kind of gotten a loophole to get rid of everything that gives the people that are buying things the power. We need to stop buying these things if we want it to be less. And it's much harder to reduce that because, well, now there really are such a small amount of people buying it. Only people who can spend this much money. And at this rate, you can buy a deck. You can buy a very, very good deck. So, uh, for the price of a booster box. So, I don't know. I just don't like this trend and it makes sense for the company, so it's going to be a difficult thing to stop. And even as 
as someone who cannot afford that, I can say, well, it's just ridiculous, honestly. I, I want this to stop. Uh, it will be releasing on August 7th. Uh, there's also... There's also this, which is... Uh, it's really weird. There's some seeding of Mothra... Of Mothra? Which seems strange. I don't know if this is confirmed to be real. It is just a tweet. Uh, I think it was a tweet. Um... So I'm not sure if this is real, but it is quite strange why they would want to distribute this more. So, other than that, there is one other thing, and that is Mark Rosewater's, um, 20, sorry, Mark Rosewater's Core 2021 teaser. I'm sure there's going to be more teasers in the coming, coming weeks, and... Basically, with all of this news, I assume there's going to be more news uh, by the time that I get to recording the actual episode of this podcast. Um, I just decided I would start with all of this stuff this week. Usually, I probably wouldn't go over magic news on bonus episodes, but today I am. Alright, real quick, there's a quick disclaimer that I want to include. So, while I was recording this, it was before spoilers for Core 2021 were starting to release. So, I included a segment that I was talking about what I thought the cards for Mark Rosewater's spoilers were going to be. And because... Now, at the time of releasing it, a lot of these cards did get spoiled. What I did is I took that segment and I put it at the end of the episode. So that that way you guys can still hear my speculations and I think it's still an entertaining portion. But I'm not wasting anybody's time by speculating on information that they already know. So the next category... The next thing that I want to go over is different ways to play five-color Zada. So first of all, I want to shout out uh, this article. Shape a new Crouching Tazuri Hidden Zada by William Jen Rensink. So I'm giving him a shout out for several reasons. First of all, because for one of the archetypes I'm going over, I am almost completely leaning on his interpretation of it and his article. Second of all, because he got me to rethink my Tazri Zada, my five-color Tazri Zada deck, and get me looking at this again and give me some great, great ideas. So, I, I, this is a great article, which if you have a five-color Zada deck, you will love to read. I will have it linked in the description. And again, thank you so much to William Chen Rensink. It's a great read. So, next, let's get into um, the, the, the different types of decks. So, for the different types of decks, there are two that are basically the classic decks. Nobody is surprised if you're playing these 
in your five colors added deck. There's aggro and there is draw. These are basically aggro super high level is you try and get a ton of tokens and then you try and basically pump them up because there are cards such as Berserk or such as Wild Size that will get them bigger. Wild Size, for example, is two and a green for an instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus two, and gains trample until end of turn. Draw a card. You get the idea. Uh, there's also something like Vines of Fastwood, which is green and has kicker green. Target creature can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponents control this turn. If Vines of Fastwood was kicked, that creature gets plus four, plus four until end of turn. Uh, also, huge shout out to uh, a Johnny's underscore gay underscore pride mate on Architect. Uh, he has a great example of a general Tazri list uh, that is in the aggro thing. So, the idea is to get tons of bodies and then use tons of efficient ways to pump your creatures while replicating it. It is a great list, and it can be very, very fast. And the second one is a draw deck. The idea is to get tons of bodies and then use those bodies replicated to draw your entire deck and win with the cards such as Lab Man or something like that. There are many different effects that can work like that, uh, such as Glinthorn Buccaneer if you're a hippie like me. Uh, you just want your decks to be unique. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can do it, but you're just trying to get tons and tons of creatures and then draw off of them. Draw your entire deck and get tons and tons of synergy. And nice little bonuses along the way. There are a lot of different ways to maintain your mana and maintain the draw that you are using. So those are the base level uh general um, five-color Sada decks, uh, archetypes. Beyond that, I have identified one, two, three, uh, four, or maybe five, arguably, other archetypes. We have Untap, Flicker, uh, Energy Counters Flicker, and Energy Counters Replicate. So, Energy Counters Flicker and Energy Counters Replicate are rather entwined and hard to separate, but also don't entwine well. I will be getting more into that in the future. But, first, I'm just going to go over base level, the ideas of each of these categories. So, untap is basically using things that can untap target creature and replicating it to all of your creatures. And it usually wins by either comboing off or by just tapping and untapping mana dorks to storm off, draw your deck, do whatever you want, basically. Or hang people down. There's a lot of different things you can do with it. 
So the next idea is splice into arcane. Splice into arcane are basically spells that you can reveal from your hand for a mana cost and add their text onto another spell. If you add that text onto a spell that targets a creature, you can replicate that text. You can replicate that onto your entire team. It is super repeatable and can be very effective as you are not using very many cards. You're not throwing away too many cards while you are drawing tons of them. Next is Flicker Allies. Now, this is my personal favorite, and I really, really want to build this deck. This is at the very top of the decks I need to buy list, and I have a, a list that I love and I really want to test. So, while I am trying to get enough money to, to buy that, I will just talk about it. So, the idea is to get get General Tazri and search for Zada, of course, with the same as these. Then we can use flicker spells that say that you can flicker, target, creature, or, well, yes, target creature. It can also work with um, all your creatures, but that doesn't usually work as well as other cards. So... The reason this is good is because there aren't very many cards that flicker your entire team. Plus, with allies, which have this ability called rally, which basically means whenever an ally enters the battlefield, do this, whatever the this might be, you can get tons of effects over and over again. And because General Tazri has an ETB to search your library for an ally, you can get that. You can get another ally and get more ally triggers. It's just amazing. Um, I can keep on going on this, but I need to get... This is just the overview of the things. So, the next and last categories are energy counters. So energy counters are rather difficult for many reasons. This is the category that I'm leaning on his article for. I did not curate or find a deck list for this other than the one in his article. There are sort of two ways to do this. You can either try to flicker cards with ETB energy gain or you can try to replicate cards with targeted energy gain or proliferate. So while this does seem like a good concept, if you use the energy counter replicate, then there are only four cards that give you specifically energy gain. So uh, there's proliferate, but you have to have energy in the first place to use that. So it just seems rather mediocre. It doesn't really have a great way. And if you use energy counter flicker, while there is slightly more energy counter, enter energy counter uh, ETB creatures or proliferate. But again, you need energy counters in the first place for proliferate to work. Then that flicker can you destroy your tokens that you worked so hard to, to get for the replication plan. These 
two decks just do not synergize at all, and they have the same goal to get the energy countermakers. So if you put them together, they constantly non-bow, and if you do them separately, they just don't have enough support. So also, it has to be work, which one thing that I find unique about these is they don't always have to be completely five color, even if the commander is, because the five color aspect of the commander is rarely important. So for this, it just doesn't work very well. The other issue is for the flicker deck, it just doesn't work because a lot of the payoffs are making tokens. That's one of the most effective payoffs to win with. It's just make six six giant tokens with your energy counters. So I would say energy counters are very, very difficult to work with. And maybe someone will crack the code, but I just don't see it. All right, so now let's get much, much deeper into each archetype. So, first, we're, as we're going to go in the same order as before, uh, sorry for this being a long episode, uh, that's another thing that I'm going to be doing on the bonus episodes, is just making them whatever length I want, because, of course, I have a lot to talk about. When I'm super interested in something, I get way too invested into it and have way too much information on it, which I think is okay. I have six archetypes. I have just been talking about the spoilers and new information for a really long time. I'm okay with this being a long episode because it is a bonus episode, but for the rest of my episodes, I will be doing probably 25 to 55 minute episodes. I was doing 30 to an hour, but I have been working on making sure everything I say is intentional and useful. So that what so my episodes have been shorter um over time they're averaging around 30 minutes, but sometimes there's just a lot to talk about and I get a huge spike, which I'm okay. I want to go be able to go up to basically an hour. So um let's get into the aggro deck. So if you're playing the aggro deck there's, first of all, there's a lot of categories I'm going to talk about. Cut out, I'm going to get, get the first one out of the way. So colors. So colors are super variable. So as I said before, you don't always need all of the colors in these deck decks. For the colors in an aggro deck, it can be different. You need red and white because you need Tazri and you need Zada. That does not change for any of these decks. The baseline is always Boros, and none of them with only Boros does it work well. So you need that, and then there's black, green, and blue. You need some of those. You need at least one of those. I could see you doing Jeskai or um, Mardu or Naya. That could work. It would be difficult and it'd be a little bit weak. I would recommend running, running two or all of them. That way you have four or five color. So it can change. 
and it can be a nice backup plan to be able to pump your allies, which do work fairly well with this deck, with um, General Tazri's ability. But overall, if you want to go lower on the colors, I can definitely see you being able to do that. So, basically, your game plan. So basically, the game plan is super short, super simple. First of all, you're going to get some creatures. There's a lot of different ways to make creatures, but the best ways are usually through token producers or land animators. The reason that land animators can be effective is because of Jeskai Ascendancy, which basically says uh, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, untap all creatures you control. So you can tap them again for more mana and do that over and over and over again. And it can be super, super effective. So once, plus it can be a great way to get some cheap creatures. So once you have tons of creatures, you're going to want to get Zada, most likely with Tazri. Then you're just going to start pumping everything and kill all of your opponents. There's really not much else to it. There's a whole lot of protection and a whole lot of ramp too to help speed up the plan, mostly helping speed up the Tazri, helping speed up getting more tokens, a lot of things like that. But it can be very easy to do this to kill opponents extremely quickly before they have anything to do. It can also be very easy to single out one person and kill them. There are also a lot of combat tricks, so blocking is very difficult. The entire deck is a combat trick, sort of, not really. But you get the idea. Um, that last thing is synergies. So what synergize, synergies does this deck focus around? What makes it work so well? So, I mean, this is really kind of the worst example for this. It's got extremely cheapy, cheaply make creatures extremely large, which is very true. There's a lot of different ways to make things for one or two mana pump up your entire team by two or three power. So you can just quickly, if you cast one or two or three of those in quick succession, you can easily kill one or two people. And then that last person... You, kill, you, left the le you left the weakest person, which should get, should get you one, or at least, at least one, maybe even two more turns. So, uh, there's also a lot of good ways to produce tokens that can be replicated. So, next category is draw. Uh, of course, I will be leaving links to guidelines for different decks or decks um, in the description of this video, there's going to be a lot of links in the description of this video, actually. Um, but they will be labeled, I will describe what they are. So, then there is Draw. So, Draw is a much, much slower deck, of course, that's how Agro works, it is trying to be fast. So, Draw is... A similar idea in the beginning. You are trying to make creatures. You can do that with token producers or land animators. Now in this case, the land animators are slightly more important 
because the Jeskai Ascendancy extra mana can be much, much more helpful because you're trying to draw your entire deck, which takes a lot of mana. When you are trying to go off to get your entire deck to win that turn, you need some way to regenerate your mana while you are casting all of these spells. That is usually either a Jeskai Ascendancy with a Mana Dork or a Lands, a spell that let, that replicates to let you play lands down, or just some random other thing. Sometimes you'll just have enough mana you can go off. It shouldn't really be that much. I have one before I have this deck currently. I have one before with only eight mana and no regenerative mana. Actually, I had one more, so I guess nine mana. So it can work and it has been done. So, oh, there's also a lot of instants and sorceries that might just incidentally give you mana. So, with that, we are first, we're getting creatures, then we're getting Zada, then we're just replicating onto all of our creatures. And a lot of the times, for token production, what we can do is we can get creatures that make creatures when we cast instant or sorcery spells. So the farther along we go, the more and more creatures we have, and this can add up super quickly. Now this is high risk, high reward, because when you're whiffing, when in the very beginning, the odds of you whiffing are quite large. The odds of you not getting another card are quite large. But if you do get it, you will almost definitely win, because you're just drawing all of these cards, and it is just cumulative growth. So we have that. It is a great way to just go off, to draw your entire deck in huge chunks. Ancestral Recall is nothing, nothing to this deck. I've drawn like the 23 cards for one mana before. I mean, I definitely, no, I, I've drawn 50 cards for one mana before. I, I could have done much more, but I would have decked myself, so I had to stop. Like, it is just absurd how quickly it grows. So, that's the idea. Um, four colors. We, y you need, you basically need white, blue, red, green. Um, black also can work, and it can definitely help, but... You don't really need it. Um, it's not necessarily that great. So, white, blue, red, green, and four synergies. So, for the synergies, there's land animators and just guy ascendancy. You can draw off of draw deck off of replicate land player, so you can just play down all your lands and get some mana regeneration, and you can use instant or sorcery. Uh, creature generators to make tons of creatures while going off. So the next idea is untap. So untap is basically a way to take advantage of instants and sorceries that say untap target creature or just ways to untap everything. So Basically, there's not too many ways to do that, and the deck I have shown and that will be in the description is unfinished. 
I was thinking if I should finish it, but I decided it is better to leave it unfinished. That way you can give it your own touch and not just have my deck. I want people to think for their own. I want you to learn how to build a deck, not just take exactly what I've done. So I think this is a this is an okay. I think it's okay for me to have it be unfinished. I'm just giving you a list of cards that work very well in this deck. So the idea is I get cards that tap for some effect, usually mana because that can work super well, and I have tons of ways to untap them. This is actually not too different from another way. So another deck that will untap lots of things. So this is honestly, you could claim it's a five color Zada deck and you might be right, but a significant amount of the time you're just going to combo off. If you look at these cards, you will just constantly see combos and combos and combos absolutely everywhere. And while you can be slow, and you can be methodical, and you can have synergy and not just go off, there's a significant chance you will just combo off. It, you'll probably see I don't have any tutors in here except for one, which I might, I, I might call, I might cut that. Um, but you could add more definitely if you want to lean into the combo. But I decided to lean away from that. So, untap. There are a lot of different central themes that can work with this, but other than comboing off, I'm just going to say I don't really need to explain every combo to you. There are many, many, many in here, and whether whether or not you like that is completely up to you. So, I'm going to talk about the stuff that isn't that. So, for that, we have a lot of different cards that animate our lands. We have almost completely gotten rid of token generation except for creatures that tap to make tokens. Because this is a great, great way to make it to benefit off of untapping everything is by making tons and tons of little guys. So once we have once we have the ability to get tons and tons of mana with all of our dorks or lands. There's a lot of different ways to just get a ridiculous amount of mana in this deck. What we will usually do is use all that mana for a giant expo. Now, for that, you want black. Black is a great way to get that giant expo. It's a great way to win in this deck and just about the most effective way you can do it. The second most effective way is by continuously retapping things, either by making tons of little 1-1 dudes, which can work significantly well, or by just getting some other benefit, like dealing one damage to each opponent with um, what's called Zerta Druid, Something like that can get quite, quite deadly if you've tapped it 10, 12 times. Because 
it's not that difficult to do that. With a lot of these cards, they'll tap to untap something else. So if you untap your team, then you get to tap that one thing twice. And another card is Unity of Purpose, for example. Um, three and a blue for an instant support two. Put a plus one, plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. So what you do is you target one creature, one creature, which would be Zada, and you replicate to everything, and everything gets untapped for the number of creatures you have, which is absurd because you have so many creatures from all of this generation. It's just, it's insane. So, beyond that, we are untapping everything and tapping everything and getting tons and tons of benefit. Um, yeah. There, we can also work with pingers. So pingers are basically creatures that tap to deal one damage to some target. Usually it's creatures. So what we can do is we can, first of all, we can give it, but we can give it death touch and just kill, 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 kill. So in the deck I use as an example, there are no pingers, but this can be a very effective way to create a pinger deck. Just making all of those things get pinged down over and over and over again can be really, really effective. So the only issue I have with this is there's not as many untapped cards as you would want there to be. While there are definitely some, there's not too many. I would guess that there are probably about eight, I think, about eight cards that will untap your entire team. And while some of them can be extremely powerful, some of them are not. So it is certainly a good deck that can be extremely synergistic, but it's probably more than eight. Yeah, there's more than eight, but especially because you can duplicate your entire team, which would quote unquote untap them. Um, there's definitely more than eight, but point is, there's just not really that many. The second thing you can do, another thing that is notable that you can do is you can throw in haste enablers and flicker to uh, basically make it so that there's a lot more cards that do that. The reason I didn't do that in this deck specifically is because there are a lot of token producers and I don't want to use, lose those. Plus it would be a large package in order to make that a more viable option. So it can work. Uh, you're gonna have to be clever with how you do it in order to make an effective deck. All right, time to get on to my, well, one one until my favorite time cut my favorite kind so this is arcane zada so the idea of this is use cards with splice into arcane that and then just attach it to something that gets replicated so here's how the game plan goes Step one, get creatures. This is um, true in a lot of decks, and in the beginning I was considering making an in-everything category, 
But the more I think about it, the more these are actually surprisingly unique. I could not find any cards other than Zada and Soul Ring. And I couldn't find very many significant cards that went into every deck. So that is actually surprising and rather impressive to me. So I think that that is great. All right, so out of this deck, we have, we have first, we're gonna make tokens, then we're gonna get Zada. That's a very common theme. Then what we're gonna do is we're gonna cast an arcane spell. So arcane spells is just a type on an instant and maybe sorceries. Looks like it's not on sorceries. So you cast this arcane spell and what you can do is you can get splice into arcane. Splice into arcane is basically a cost. One in, for example, lifted by clouds, one in a blue, splice into arcane, and it has target player, target creature gains flying until end of turn. Now that's not the greatest example, and there are definitely uh, some better examples, but that's the idea. You get one of these arcane spells as the target, and then you get something that you can attach onto it to get copied. I have that as a separate category. So Evermind, for example, one in a blue uh, for the splice to draw a card. You have another great thing you can do is for the arcane spells, you can attach a targeted thing. Um, you can use spiritual visit. Splice for a white. Put a 1-1. One, one. Call a spirit creature token into play. Great way to make it so you can duplicate onto even more things. There are 24 cards. 25, but one of them doesn't really count because it just destroys target non-spirit creature. So I don't think it counts. Um, there are 25 cards here that have arcane. So with, all, with a lot of these effective ways to draw cards... I can get more and more of them. That way, I can just keep on casting and replicating these things over and over again. Can be very effective. It's a little bit difficult to win, but it certainly works. So again, link will be in the description. It's a pretty cool deck. All right, next. Time to get on to my favorite. This is the deck that I really want to build. Again, not completely finished. 102 cards. I am not going to lie to you. The only reason it's like this is because I cannot, for the life of me, decide what to cut. And I have no pressure to do so because I'm not building this deck yet. So, uh, you figure out what you're going to cut. Um, I'm just going to... Be over here and decisive. So, first of all, well, let me go back on Arcane Zada and talk about colors for a second. Uh, it is important to have all the colors for this deck. You need every single color because there are so small of a number of Splice into Arcane spells. You just kind of need all the colors. Um, that's kind of all there is to it. So, Beyond that, for Zada Ally, Flick, Ally Flicker, uh, you also need to go five color because there are not too many allies. 
and you need the rally triggers. So, in this deck, the game plan is basically very different from the others. In this deck, you don't need to generate creatures. Well, you, you sort of do. But the creatures you need to be casting and getting out in the beginning of the game are creatures such as Colostria Healer. Things that have ETBs. Or, more specifically, hopefully, things with Rally. Whenever an ally enters the battlefield under your control, do this, or for the number of allies you control. And that is awesome. Another thing you can do is use copies, clone spells, to enter the battlefield as copies of those. And there's actually a lot of these. There's a lot of ETB doublers and a lot of different ways that I can replicate things multiple times. Uh, that I can flicker things multiple times, such as Yorion, Sky Nomad. There's just a whole lot of ways for this deck to flicker my allies or my other creatures over and over and over again so effectively for one or two mana or maybe three, but I'm getting some type of benefit. I can just flicker everything for all of these benefits that I've specifically curated to work with each other. It is amazing. It makes me just want to scratch the surface because I feel like there's too much to talk about. But I'm just going to start. So I'm going to skip over some of the categories to make it simpler. So first of all, we have a simple one, combo. We have dual caster mage, which is one red red for a 2-2 with flash. When dual caster mage enters the battlefield, copy target instant or sorcery spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. So, if I get a flicker spell, um, I cast um, dual caster mage, I can instantly flicker dual caster mage. And if I get a copy spell, I can make infinite copies of him. The reason that flickering him infinitely can be good is because I have a lot of creatures that say whenever a creature enters the battlefield, each opponent loses life. Um, yeah. So, that can be very effective. Um, I don't always use it, and sometimes, basically, if I draw a dual caster mage, I'm going to win. Because there are 23 cards that combo with it. I didn't check them all individually, but I'm 90% sure that all of them work. So, uh, the thing is, you do, for most of those 23, probably like 18 of them, you do need another of, like, probably six cards for it to work with. So, again, if, if you draw a dual caster mage, you have very high odds of winning the game. So, the next category is enter the battlefield damage. So, as I said, I'm flickering everything over and over and over again and just getting constant benefit. The most important benefit is a way to win the game. You have to have some way to convert all of this into killing your opponents. So my way is enter the battlefield damage. So I have Corpse Knight, Impact Tremors, or outpost well not outpost siege well corpse knight and impact tremors say whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control each opponent loses one life 
Cluster Healer, it says whenever it or another ally enters the battlefield, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Outpost Siege says whenever a creature you control leaves the battlefield, it deals one damage to target creature or player. So flickering it out of existence does count as it leaving the battlefield, even if it comes back. Pandemonium says whenever a creature comes into play, that creature's controller may have it deal damage equal to its power to target creature or player of his or her choice. I I have to be very careful with this because it also works for my opponents, but it is just so effective that you can't really pass it by. Uh, Perforos is three and a red, and he, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, it deals two damage to each opponent. Tuck Tuck Scrapper uh, is is uh, whenever it or another ally enters the battlefield under your control, you may destroy a target artifact. If that artifact is put into a graveyard, Tuck Tuck deals damage to that artifact's controller equal to the number of allies you control. So, it does say you may, so what you want to do is if, say, there's only two artifacts left on the battlefield and you have eight allies entering the battlefield, you're going to want to not do it for those last, for the first six, and then on the last two triggers, you can do it. Then you'll get seven and eight damage rather than one and two. So then there is, which this isn't really as effective as the rest because it's circumstantial, but it can be very good. Plus you also get, basically, your opponents don't get artifacts anymore. Hagridiabolist, I don't know how you say it is four and a black for three, two, whenever it or another ally enters the battlefield, then you control, you may have target player lose life equal to the number of allies you control. And Marasa Pyromancer, four red, red for a three, two, whenever it or another battlefield ally enters the battlefield and you do your control, you may have it deal damage to target creature equal to the number of allies you control. Uh, sadly, it says creature, but we can work with that. So beyond that, we have the allies. So some of them are just allies, which can help with my rally triggers. Some of them have rally. Some of them are just clones so that I can copy my allies, get more rally triggers and more ways for the rallies to be triggered. So beyond that, we have Zada, of course, and we have Flicker and Blink. So basically, these are exile target creatures and return it to the battlefield under your control, be it now, immediately, or next turn. There are a lot of different ways that this can be done, uh, but other than that, there are really two other categories. One, well, three. One, which is, is just effective and doesn't actually target my creatures, so but it works so well, I'm going to include it anyways. The next is it clones it, and, well, actually, the... the there's not really another one. The cloning can be permanent or temporary. So it might get sacrificed at the end of turn. There's also a lot of different benefits you can get, but that is the main idea of this deck. There are a lot of different ways that I can replicate the ETBs or make it so that things are flickered over and over again. But for now, for the over for the not complete deck tech version of it which I feel like I've already gone into a little bit too much, uh, that is that. All right, so now it is time to get into the last, um, into the last, uh, 
categories of synergy. I have been talking for an hour now. Okay, that's a little bit too much, but whatever. I talk for however long I want. So, for this, we have energy counters. So, I am going to include a link to the article, which I will also, I'll just probably link it twice for um, energy counter deck list and for the article. So, this is the energy counter deck list I'm working on, and it's kind of, it kind of works, but it, it's awkward for a lot of different reasons. So, to start off, we have quote-unquote 20 energy cards. So, there's a lot of different things that he counted as energy cards. Um, most of them are ETB energies. Three or four of them are um, cards that give me energy on targeting creatures. Um, two or, th I think two of them, three of them, three of them are bounce or flicker. Um, two or three are, are, um, what's it called? Proliferate. Like, really, when you get down to it, there's only about, like, ten things that actually give you energy, and they're super watered down. And then we have a couple more energy givers, but they're not that great, but they let you spend your energy. And even on these, there's not very many that give you a significant way to benefit off of them. And then, and then it just has this random category of targeting, of drawing cards, of... It's just... I don't want to dissuade people from building this deck, but I just... It seems super clunky no matter what you do. As I said earlier, it has to be... First of all, it has to be five color. Second of all... You're not, you don't have very many sources. The sources you have don't synergize with each other. In fact, they're non-bows. And it just, you can, if you get a really good hand, you can probably get either a replicate card. Your, your deck is split in two. You're going to get probably either a replicate card or a card that ETB flickers. If you get ETB flicker, you're not even getting that efficient of production on your energy. It's good, but it's it's not that good because of the small amount of things. You can't flicker more than that, more than like one or two creatures. You can't flicker that many things at once when there's only 10 or probably like 10 cards that ETB to get you those, and I'm counting on creatures too. So, if you're only flickering maybe one if you get lucky, then what, you have to hope that you get the, the uh, replicate? But there's only four cards to do that. The only way that I could see this working is if you run tons of tutors, get the replicate, get your creatures, and then you replicate, and then you get, you get tons of energy. But then you have to find 
a card that lets you benefit off of the energy in a good way, which I would say there's about one or two that actually give you a good enough benefit for all of the work you're doing. I don't see any way really to win with all this energy. It just seems like you're wasting your time. I don't know. Maybe I don't see it. Uh, maybe I have to... I just... I'm I'm annoyed because it doesn't fit at all. I just want it all to mesh together and to synergize, not to hate it, hate itself, to nonbo with itself. It just, I don't see any way to do it, and I'm annoyed. I want to make this work, and it's not, it's not working for me. I've tried. I, I literally deleted the deck because I couldn't, I couldn't figure out a way to do it. That was a while ago, by the way. So, this that's my opinion on the energy. Maybe somebody can crack it for me. But, I mean, this guy who writes articles all the time can't do it. And I can't do it. We are both extremely... Well, I, I mean, it seems like he... I'm not sure if he thinks he did it or not. But, um, I'm just gonna... I don't know if he thinks he succeeded or not. So I'm not going to speak for him. But it just doesn't seem... It just doesn't seem there for me. So that's that's kind of all I have to say today. These are different ways that you can build this deck. And I'm not sure when this can come out. Hopefully soon. Because then it won't seem like I'm missing information on my weekly podcast. But... Uh, this was really fun. I love these decks, and I'm super inspired by them. So, I hope you enjoyed listening. Um, I will see you... Just a reminder, this last segment is me speculating on what cards in Core 2021 will be using Mark Rosewater's uh, hints on what they are going to be. So... Keep in mind, that information has already been released, so I just watch it if you think it'll be entertaining. You're not necessarily going to get any valuable speculation, because for almost all of these cards, probably all of them at this point, by the time this is released, or by the time you're listening to this, um, by that time, you will already know these cards... So watching this is not necessarily useful speculation. Okay, so first of all, we have a brand new planeswalker from a plane we've visited. I don't think there's very much to gather here. I do like a lot the introduction of new planeswalkers because the Gatewatch has been so oversaturated. It's It's like the Avengers analogy everyone loves to make. They're just overusing it so much. A card that lets you draw half of your library. Uh, so, first thing I think here is it's almost definitely a sorcery or an ETB creature. If you think about all these cards that have effects similar to that, you notice they're mostly sorceries. And while sometimes they're creatures, maybe, it's almost definitely a sorcery. 
Okay, other than that, there's not much to gather. I'm sure it's in blue. Uh, blue likes to draw cards, and it especially likes to draw a whole lot of cards. There are, there's a, I think it's 10 mana card that lets you draw your, your entire library, and then you get to put one card back onto the top of your library. Yeah. Blue loves giant sorcery draw tons of card cards. Next is a plus one plus one tribal lord for creature type that's never had one. Creature type with over 50 cards already in print. So, the first thing I think is, wow, this is great. We're going to get more support for a creature type. The second thing I'm thinking is there's basically two camps. Well, really three camps. One is a creature type which already has support, just not in that way. It just doesn't have pump support. Two is a type such as snakes uh, that have that have pump support, just not specifically plus one, plus one. And three is just a creature with basically no support, such as insects. Now, the other two seem fine if they just get the one. But if we're going for the third type, of course, there's a million examples of all of these categories. There are about 250 creature types, and I was considering just looking, checking every single creature type for lords and the number of creatures, but I decided not to because, honestly, it's not worth my time. So, basically, if... The thing I'm worried about is if it is something like Insect, where there is almost no tribal support at all, and they only make one. I'm really hoping that they don't do what they've done with a whole lot of other creature types, and just put one or two, maybe even five, cards that help support it, and have that be it. They just forget about it. Act as if it is now solved. But it's not. We need more things that work with it. All right. Um, the third thing is, well, I, I guess it's the fourth. A character with a Vanguard card and a Legendary Creature card gets a second of the latter. Many cards fit that description. Um, I got a list, and now that I see it, I don't think it's a good idea to read it. There are, I believe, 30, 50, I don't know. There's about one full, you know, I'm just going to number this list. We'll see how, how many there are. There are 39, uh, there are 39 legendary creatures that could fit that ladder, that, um, description. So, that's, Yeah. Uh, there are two that are somewhat questionable. Well, there's one that's somewhat questionable, which is Urza. Um, but it's it's quite strange. So, yeah. Not much to say there. There's a whole lot more cards there that fit that description than I would have thunk. Alright, next is a card with 31 different options. So, most likely, it's choosing any combination or number of colors because that would be 31 different options. Choosing any number of colors 
would be 31 options. That is the most likely thing, unless they do something similar to keyword counters, because they're not going to list all the options. I'm confident of that. So either it's going to be some weird keyword counter type of thing, or almost definitely choosing any number of colors. All right, next up is a card. Well, beyond that, there's not really much insight we can gather. Um, it's just, it, yeah, I don't know. So a card that gains all activated abilities of a certain subset of cards in a place it's never been done before. So that would be either your hand, the library, or maybe the battlefield. So the battlefield is a little bit questionable because, well, not really. The battlefield isn't really questionable. I was just thinking of Audric, but that's just, um, that is just key, that is just keywords, not activated abilities. So of those, library is easy to eliminate. Hand, uh, revealing things from your hand to be able to do that or having your hand always be revealed is certainly possible, but I would say it is unlikely. So I'm willing to, I'm fairly certain that it's going to be an activated ability on the battlefield. So a card that next up is a card that uses a non-evergreen named ability over 20 years old. There's really not much to be gathered here. Like, there are plenty of those. Some of them are horrible, some of them are okay. I can't really say much more. There's banding, which would be horrible. Like, I, I just don't... There's a lot of different things that this could fit. Okay, a card with the words Battlefield Cast Creature, Converted Mana Cost, Until End of Turn, Exile Graveyard, and Mana Cost. ETB, you make... Oh, so, basically, my gathering is... Whenever this, when this creature enters the battlefield, you may cast a creature card with CMC, not sure, until end of turn, from Exile or your graveyard. So, it does also say after that, mana cost probably says without paying its mana cost, or you may spend any number of colors to pay its mana cost. So, most likely, it is without paying mana cost because it has a specified converted mana cost. The second thing I notice is for converted mana cost, it could maybe be a varied thing, like maybe a scale like three to five, but it doesn't seem likely as I don't see any elegant way of phrasing that. So next is an aura inspired from a cycle from Urza's Saga block. There's really not much to gather there. Uh, next is a non-evergreen enchantment subtype returns core, 20, core 2021 and also has a number of fun reprints, including. So I'll read those off in, the f in, in a minute. So we have curse. Shrine, Saga, Cartouche. 
Now that I think about it, I'm, I think Sagas might be Evergreen. Um, I'm not sure, but if they are not, then they would definitely be the most likely. Uh, yeah, I just looked it up, and there's not really anything useful. that the community dubbed definition is sort of wrong. Most of the community defines evergreen, at least in the articles that I have seen, defines evergreen as keywords, not subtypes. So, I'm not sure whether or not Saga is a evergreen subtype or not, but if it is not, then it is almost definitely what will be coming back. Well, not necessarily. It is fairly likely that it'll come back. Cartouche is pretty unlikely. Shrine is pretty unlikely, but I want it to happen. And, I mean, there's a lot of different things that could fit that, but those, I'd say, are the most likely, or at least the things people are pointing out most. A popular character first introduced in flavor text. I am by no means someone educated in the way of Vorthos. Um, the only card that I saw that works with this is Fibblethip. Other than that, that's the only one I know. I'm sure there are many, many, many more. And... That's just what came into my head. Who knows if that's right or not. Alright, next is a French Vanilla Mythic Rare. Um, there's not too much together. What we know is it's probably going to be very similar to Baneslayer Angel or Akroma. A decently or at least somewhat okay cost to power toughness ratio with a huge stack of abilities. That is usually what those cards are like. I personally don't find those cards to be very good or very useful, but there can be some keyword combos, basically. So, that... That seems okay. Uh, the second thing I have to notice, note is uh, French Vanilla does include non-evergreen keywords. So that does mean it could have basically any keywords. Um, but because they're not evergreen, it is not likely they would come up because they would have to be reprinted. So that's not particularly likely. Next is a popular, oh, sorry, uh, a popular aura that started as part of a cycle. So there's not much to gather here. Again, uh, one of the popular um, things people are pointing to as the solution is Ranker, which makes sense, but it could be one of many, many things. Next is a card with unique protection. So this is almost definitely a creature type. 
There are many, many things that they can be protected from, but I it is almost definitely a creature type. That is an easy thing to give protection of that they have in the past done, and that would almost definitely be unique. Okay, next is two cards played in tournaments that have been reprinted over 20 times with at least five different pieces of art. So first thing you notice is technically basic lands fit that requirement, but we're just going to assume that those are completely unrelated. So the next things you think of are super iconic, not necessarily broken cards, but they're just kind of everywhere. Well, first you think, okay, Soul Ring. Well, no, that's not going to be printed into standard. Then you think, okay, Shock, Negate, Counterspell, Bolt. Those type of cards that are just super iconic. Maybe, um, what's that one in a black removal spell? I don't know. But super iconic reused spells that are just everywhere. Negate, I believe, is the most reprinted, the most printed card in magic other than basic lands. I think that it, I think it is. So, any of these could fit that description, but that, that's the kind of card you're thinking of. It's not gonna be, it's, it might, but I doubt that it will be mind-blowing. And it'll, it probably won't have, have very much value, because it just said it's been reprinted over 20 times. So it's gonna be something iconic, and it's gonna be something cheap. And it's gonna be something useful. Well, actually, not necessarily the useful. Although it says it's played, it has been played in tournaments. So, could be, it'll probably be useful. Okay, next is a card that's never previously appeared in a premiere set. Uh, that just means into standard, I believe. So, for me, I, I, I don't think there's very much to be gathered here. There are a lot of cards that were printed out of the way of standard, so there's just not too much information here. Okay, a card that's never been reprinted before, which has a 2, 3, 5, and 6, all appear on the card. So, in the beginning, when I was first looking at this, I did a scryfall search, and I thought it was Lighthouse Chronologist. I've seen a lot of different people fall into this trap, including, of course, as I just said, me. Lighthouse Chronologist is, if you look on it, on it at the very base level, if you only look at the text box, which doesn't work, um, that is the only card that fits that description. But it also includes the power, toughness, and mana cost. So, first of all, I'm going to put, well, I'm just going to lay down all the different things that could apply. So, first of all, there's a name. So this doesn't apply because there's no cards with numbers in there, with any of those numbers, I didn't check for other numbers, in their names. With the exception of Five Alarm Fire, which does not fit the description. Also, it is F-I-V-E, and it is unclear whether it should be text of the numbers or numerical. 
I assumed it would be numerical because that fits much, much closer with the design and formatting of magic cards. So name does not apply. Set symbol art collector's number. I've heard a lot of people saying that these could apply and I very much disagree. They are all inconsistent. Collector's number almost always varies within sets. Art almost, well, can vary. And set symbol all, always, well, I think, I think there was one in the mystery boosters. I don't think it varied. But other than that, it almost always, they're very variable. And I think it doesn't make any sense for those to be parts of the thing. So what does apply is mana cost, power toughness, and text box. Text box. Everything you would see if you got the oracle text of a card. This also includes flavor text, probably. I'm actually not sure whether flavor text is consistent or not. Okay, next up is a human monk. So a human monk, uh, the effect of that, the things it is likely to do is actually pretty inconsistent. Um, sometimes the most common things that human monks do is relation to non-creature spells, such as prowess. But that is not always true. I would say maybe a half to two-thirds of human monks have that characteristic. So there's a decent chance that we will get a reprint of prowess or just some relation to non-creature spells. Next is a card from the Time Spiral Time Shifted Sheet. There's really not much to gather here on Monday. Thanks for listening. You can join my Discord server with the link in the description. You can go on my YouTube channel if you're not list- if you're not already watching from that. If you are going through a podcast with the link in the description, you can find my personal architect with the link in the description or at I'm a Johnny, A J O H N N Y, not A J N I, the planeswalker. You can find my Commander Quest Architect at Commander Quest or with the link in the description. You can find my website with the link in the description. You can email me at griffindon't at gmail.com. And I am working on potentially uh, getting more socials that I can link to. But for now, that is all. Thank you for listening.